Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. This week on Product Love, I talked to Wes Bush, founder of the Product-Led Institute and author of Product-Led Growth. As you could have guessed, we talked about a lot of things product-led and how to drive being product-led within your own company. Wes believes it starts with making your customers successful and minimizing the distractions within your product. It's extremely important to help your customers get their first win, and I think you can do that in a number of ways. So Wes brings up onboarding as an example where you can help your customers experience their first win. So customers sometimes treat onboarding as the only time they have to educate a customer. But we think our priorities need to shift. It's more important that we communicate the product value to customers during onboarding, and that's usually through giving them a first win. It's not through getting them proficient in every piece of functionality inside your product. So this got me to thinking about how we need to communicate value better. Being product-led is about making your customers so successful that it's not only a no-brainer for them to continue using your product, but also they want to upgrade, expand, and become advocates to their peers. Onboarding should never feel like a boring orientation of the entire product that your customers are trying to race through. What you need to do is find out what they need within your product and give them that value as soon as possible. Otherwise, you risk overwhelming them by trying to teach them too much too fast or not giving them value quickly enough. What are your thoughts about being product-led and how do you treat the onboarding process? Let me know at ebodic at Twitter or ebodic at pendo.io. Thanks. Welcome over to product. Today I am here with Wes Bush. He's a product-led consultant, and he's an author of a new book about being product-led. Last one, you kick it off by giving us a little overview of your background. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. So for my background, I am the founder of Product-Led Institute, which is basically a place where I just teach SaaS companies how to flip the entire sales process on its head and really just help people lead with their products. And so that's what I, I do. That's awesome. So talk to me about what led you to start the Product-Led Institute. Was there like an aha moment? Did you realize like this was a big industry need and you could solve it? I mean, what pushed you in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. So the big thing for me was I kept working in demand gen for these B2B SaaS companies. And after a certain point, it got to the point where we were just I recognized doing the same thing that a lot of other people were doing, you know, where you create content, you put up landing pages, and then you drive traffic to those landing pages and get a bunch of people to convert. And it wasn't until we launched a freemium model where we got to hundreds of thousands of users in under a year where that little aha moment really came into my head. And I said, wait a minute, like there is really a much better, faster way to grow for a lot of businesses. And so I ended up going and building my own agency to really help some other companies go through and approach this 
product-led model. But it was really fascinating because at the beginning, there was just nothing out there to really show like, how do you lead a business with a free trial or a free model and grow it? And so I just had a ton of trial and error and it was just a blast <laughs> to be completely honest too. It was great just seeing how you could grow a business with a free trial, free model. Yeah, and, and product-led in that concept, that term, it feels a little bit like uh, the new trend, right? The new big push in inside the product industry. You know, there used yeah, to be, absolutely. you know, you think of marketing automation as a big push in the marketing industry. And recently, account-based marketing or ABM is, is kind of a big trend there. But product-led is like the big push on the product side and even outside of product. And I think it's making a lot of companies pause and reevaluate their strategies for growth, right? So... A question for you, in order to get truly on board with being product-led, what are some of the things that companies need to do different or some of the old things they did that they need to let go of? Yeah. And so I think the first thing a lot of companies think is that if they're going to be product-led, they'll need a free trial or a freemium model. And so I've seen a lot of companies just launch one, but they treat the trialers exactly the same as a demo request. And there's just a really big problem there because this is a company that's trying to, to lead with the product. I mean, it looks from on the outside, it looks like they're leading with the product, but internally, the organization is still very much so a sales-led organization. And so that's the, the biggest thing I see a lot of companies where they just need to let go of that sales-first approach and let the product do a lot of the selling for you. The beauty of a product-led strategy is that the role of sales really changes because by giving away your product for people to try, you're actually allowing them to experience your value proposition. You don't have to tell them what it is. Obviously, on your marketing site, you can, but your whole goal with a product-led company is to just show them. And so that's the biggest difference. Yeah. So can you expound on that a little bit uh, in particular, you know, where you see the future of sales in an era that maybe is driven by product? Yeah, absolutely. So for many SaaS businesses, especially if you have a relatively simple product, sales teams are often optional if you're selling to a lot of the SMBs. But where sales can really play a very impactful role is when you have a little bit of a more complex product and you can actually assist people really become successful in the whole product. So it's a lot less about the challenger uh, sales model and it's more just about helping people become successful. So there still is a really important role for sales in product-led companies is not going away anytime soon. It's just the role of it is really changing from more of a selling to more of just a helping role. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, you know, we talked about things that companies need to let go of. Maybe we think about the other side and you talked about how sales has changed, but what else has to change inside of a company to really, you know, embrace the concept of being product-led? Yeah. And so for an entire organization, like your, for instance, your marketing team really has to think about, okay, how could you use the product as a way to acquire more customers? And this is really what makes a product-led business beautiful in a lot of ways is you're even right down to the pricing page. You're looking at like, what are those features that would, if we were to even give them away, would just make people so excited and like really drive the flywheel for our business for it. And if you think about, let's say HubSpot, like giving away a CRM, that is incredible. It's a really big moat for you to give away. And it really 
drove their customer acquisition model bonkers for a while in a good way because so many people were excited to try it out and actually have a free CRM because so many people charged for that. And so it really, when you're looking at it from a team dynamic, your marketing team's looking at the product and saying, how can I use this to drive more leads and more customers? Your sales team is going to start asking, hey, like, how can we look at what people are doing within the product to understand who actually understands the value of the product so that when they reach out in a timely fashion, like those people are almost already sold on the product. And maybe the role of sales in that case is just helping them or assisting them with the internal politics of how to navigate a bigger organization and make the sale. And so every team really just has a role in this. And so that to me is one of the, the best parts about it. So you've worked with a bunch of companies in trying to achieve you know, product-led growth and, and trying to change their company to be more product-driven or product-led. You know, what's something that you see people struggling with in trying to achieve this? Or what struggles do you see in common in a lot of these cases? Yeah, so I've worked with a really big range of companies, like from 500K to over 500 million. And one of the things that I see again and again is that people try and treat onboarding like this one trick pony. Like the first time you sign up for the product, they just try and do everything. And by everything, I mean, let's say they want to show you around the whole product and just get you to experience everything. And it's, it's very well-intentioned. A lot of companies, <laughs> they're not trying to just do wrong with any user at all. No, they're trying to be helpful. But what they're missing is that that person has maybe two, three minutes, if that, to really experience the value. And what you need to do is just set them up for that first quick win. Think of it like dominoes. We all know you hit one domino down, the next one goes. Like, What is that first small domino that you can push so you can get a bunch more down? And so onboarding is not this one and done approach. No, you got to break it up into bite-sized pieces and make sure that that first experience with the product is really setting them up for success and really hopefully making an experience where they really do want to come back because they have experienced some meaningful value. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I, you, you see a lot of people that, in essence, you know, point the fire hose at the user for, and for five minutes just blast them, where <laughs> what they really need is like a drink every other day. They might be a product, just a little taste of things they can learn, and then maybe the ability to pull in more content if they want to consume more at that point. But the idea to just throw everything at them, it's just overwhelming, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And there's a lot of processes you can go through to teach people that in kind of an, an iterative manner. It's, it's just like, you know, teaching your kids. It's not about like, hey, let's teach them differential equations when they're two. It just builds on everything from, you know, simple addition up through, you know, complex math. Yeah, no, that's a perfect example, too. Like, you're not going to teach someone geometry in one sitting. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, you've written, and I found really interesting that you talk about the user onboarding experience starts not only just when they buy the product and get that drink as opposed to that fire hose, but it starts with the moment someone interacts with your brand. So user onboarding, in essence, you're saying starts with marketing. So talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about, you know, how user onboarding is part of marketing and how do marketing and product need to interact then to make sure the onboarding experience, you know, from the first touch of the brand through competency with the product or expertise in the product, you know, they go through that whole journey. 
Yeah. So whenever it comes to just where does that kind of customer journey look like for a product-led business, your product is your customer acquisition model. And so you, whenever you're building your products, can really, uh, from that first touch point, you really got to make sure that you obviously first start with understanding your value, then just communicating that value, whether that's, let's say as an ad, that's the first time someone sees you. And then the next thing you got to do as a product-led business is just deliver on that. I mean, that's the three fundamentals in my book. I mentioned just, you got to understand the value that you're providing, then communicate it, and then do a really good job delivering on that value as quickly as possible. And so that's really how simple this is. And I think in business, sometimes it's just way too easy to want to overcomplicate so many things when in reality, it's just, you got to understand what they want and then actually deliver on it. And so that's really what I was trying to get at in terms of like your user onboarding does start the moment someone interacts with your brands and you got to deliver on that value. Whatever you communicated to them, show them. And I think a, a really great example of this is how, if we think about customer acquisition, how it's really changing, there's a great example by Canva. And I think they've done a fantastic job of tying, like, what is that first brand experience to what is going to happen in the product? And so if you type in how to make a poster and you go to their landing page, you'll see all the call to actions are saying, make a poster. Pretty logical, right? And so when you go into the product, the first thing you see is your poster. And it's really straightforward. You just have a couple of clicks, you get a template you like, it looks pretty, you edit the text, boom, you have your first quick win. And so that whole experience needs to be in tune. Like whether you're writing a blog post, you need to think about, okay, what is that about? How can we drive that experience, whatever that blog post was about, into the product so that that's the first thing someone sees and we deliver on that value as quickly as possible. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about things you see everyone struggling with and when they're, when they're becoming more product led. Talk to me about, you know, maybe some tips that people should think about that might not be, you know, readily apparent to them. So for what kind of company are you referring to? I just pick one. We could pick, uh, let's start with a B2C company and then maybe go to B2B. I assume that would be kind of a, a bigger area of difference. You know, going to like a consumer company that's selling to, you know, one of 300 million Americans to a B2B company that's selling to larger enterprises. You know, what tips would you give each of those different environments? Yeah, I think one universal one that would work for everyone is the good old activation email. And so I've seen the activation emails, which for those of you that don't know who are listening, basically as soon as you sign up for, let's say, a free trial or a freemium model, you can't go into the product right away. You have to go to your email, click an activation link, and then you can go in the product. So it's a, a small little hurdle that a lot of companies put to make sure like, all right, you're a real user and it's great. But in terms of conversion, that is a huge killer. And so I was helping this one company and they had it was 30% of people who were just not actually activating their emails. So they were signing up, but then never actually went into the product. And so what we did was simply delay that activation email requirement step. And so the first time someone signed up, they could go immediately into the product, see what the product was about, experience the value. And what we found is that their free to paid conversion rate stayed steady. And they made 
bank whenever it comes to just making sure that they were actually getting more of those free users to churn into paying users, the conversion rate stayed consistent. And it's just thinking about in your user journey, like where are you putting friction? And some of those steps where we think about, oh, we need it for security or whatever the latest excuse is, <laughs> it's oftentimes not actually necessary in a lot of cases. And so whether you're in product or in marketing, you really do need a challenge, whether it's your engineering department or anyone else, that some of these steps can be removed. Or in that particular example, like we delayed it to the second time someone logs in, they have to activate their email if they want to log in a second time. And so you can definitely play around with it, but just really be aggressive when it comes to reducing any friction that might not be necessary. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I, I, I get frustrated with some of the forms you have to fill out, right? Absolutely. Acquire all this information. And you haven't even got any value yet. And, all. and then what's even worse is you type something in wrong and it clears part of the form. I hate those. Those are like, it's like instant friction. <laughs> or the ghost forms. You think you're almost done and then it drops down a bunch more. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Or the fields where they make you like do a pull down for like year of birth or something. And you're like, okay, I got to scroll down through 40 of them instead of typing four characters, right? That kind of thing. So. Oh, yes. yeah. I Sir. think I mean, there's huge benefits to, you know, people, companies or whoever's in charge of this or their company looking at like, how easy is it to sign up? Like, do we make this process as easy as possible and get rid of all those sources of friction, whether it's activation emails or forms that are just hard to fill out? Yeah. And the interesting thing there, like whenever it comes to forms, is that like nowadays with data enrichment, a lot of times the third party sources are, are going to be more accurate than what people are actually putting in to some of those forms. And so in a lot of the cases where I've been working with these companies, they might have 10 form fields that are acquired, but a lot of them are just for the, the sales team where, all right, they need to know the company size, where they're located, like the standard protocol so they can divide up, okay, divide and conquer. You take this territory, we take this territory, and that can all be automated. And so we don't need to make our users jump hoops. That can be automated. We know from their email a lot of the times, okay, where is their company? Okay, map it to the correct company size. And you can do all of that. But a lot of companies are just not thinking about, all right, every form field, we're making our user jump a hoop. Yeah, and which brings up a good point. Is being product-led really thinking about it through the eyes of the user? Like, how can we make this whole process of driving them value or driving them to value as easy as possible for them? Absolutely. It is the most customer-centric way of building a business. And it really just, to me, product-led growth is all about helping your user become so successful that it just becomes a no-brainer for them to upgrade. So that's my belief about what product-led growth is. Awesome. So talk to me a little bit. We, well, let me, let me step back into something back now in your background. Let's talk about your book. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you a little bit about your book. So what led you to the process of deciding to write a book? Yeah, so it was a, a long time coming. And Part of writing a book for those of you that have never done it is it's really like a clarifying act. <laughs> like people think you write a book. All right. So you get a lot of people to read it. But I actually wrote the book so I could actually understand what product-led growth is all about to a really high degree. And so whenever I decided I was going to write it, I just wanted to understand the topic 
really, really well because I truly believe that if you're going to understand a topic, you need to be able to teach it because then you really have to simplify it down and distill it. And, and didn't, didn't Richard Feynman say that you don't really know something? I think it was Feynman that said it, that uh, you don't really know something until you can teach it. Yeah, I, I don't know who said it, but <laughs> if that's what he said, it's I totally buy it because it is so true. Yeah, so sorry, I feel like I cut you off there. Talk to me about that. So you, the book, let's get back to the book. Yeah, and so is there anything specific you want to know about the book? I don't know, I feel like I killed our line of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, I mean, so tell me, Wes, tell me a little bit more about the frameworks that are in the book and how the book can help people on kind of this path to being product-led. Yeah, absolutely. So the book is divided into three different parts. The first one's really focusing on just understanding if product-led growth is even right for your business. Let's say your product is just really complex and you're selling to the, the biggest enterprises in the world and there's a lot of customizations for each of those sales. Product-led growth might not even be the right fit for you. And that's totally fine. You don't have to jump on the product-led growth train. And so I really just try and educate people around, like, is this right for you? And then if it is, you got to know, like, what is that foundation? And now I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I believe there's three things you really need to have in order to build a strong product-led business. And that's really just understanding your value getting really, really good at communicating your value and then just delivering on it and making sure that your perceived value, like what you're putting out there in your marketing actually lines up with the experienced value in the product. And what really catches most people off guard is that there's often a, a big value gap in between that perceived value and experience value. And so the smaller that value gap can be, the more successful you're going to be as a product-led business. And so the last section is really just about how to minimize that value gap and grow your business. And so I think for a lot of the people, that would probably be the, the last section be the most relevant if you're already a product-led business, but uh, you can't really get there unless you understand the foundation too. So can we argue about one point there? Um, yeah, go that, for point, it. <laughs> that point was going to be, uh, you know, does product-led growth have value for those complex systems that are being sold to the enterprise? And so I'm going to make an argument and I'd love to hear your rebuttal if you have one is that yeah. it's just, it's different, right? In one case, you know, maybe in a lot of the, the simple products, it's really about uh, things like freemium, right? And product led growth is driven from the top of the funnel in the complex enterprise. I think there's a huge opportunity for product led growth in the expansion in the cross sell areas, right? So now if you're sold into say like a general electric and they're using your product, you're getting all this data about how they're using it and you're getting data about how other large companies are using it. And mm -hmm. you can start looking at in your product and seeing, well, what usage patterns lead to expansion and to growth in the accounts. And that, I think we undersell that data part of the product a little bit as a mechanism to drive product-led expansion, which really is just another form of revenue growth, right? So I would argue that there's a huge opportunity for those people selling to the enterprise to look at their product data and how people are using their product as a mechanism to build models of customers that are likely to be great upsell or cross-sell opportunities for them that will drive additional growth. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like any way where you can use your product analytics to better understand your customers and then, yeah, expand from the, the customer success side of it things too and really make sure that you're helping those customers become successful. I am all behind that. It's just the thing that gets complicated is let's say where your sales team is, is selling something and then it's now your product and engineering's job to build out that part of the product. That's where I find there's a really big disconnect because in a product-led organization, your marketing and product team have to work really, really closely to understand that customer and make sure that you're building features that will drive that customer acquisition engine for your business. And so in that example, I, I definitely agree with you that it is a really important concept. You need to have that, whether you're a product-led business or even a sales-led business. Like that is just called good business <laughs> by monitoring that. But I think if you went down that route with the enterprise, there just might be a little bit of a disconnect sometimes between your sales and then product team. Yeah, and I, I would totally agree. You know, more complicated things are, the more the initial sale is hard to be completely driven potentially by, you know, uh, a trial offer or a product led offer, you know, in sales is it's more traditionally sales driven, right? In those environments. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about freemium. We touched on that there. Why, when is freemium worth it? When is it not worth it? Yeah. So I have my favorite little disclaimer from Rob Walling, who is the former CEO of Drip. He basically states that like freemium is like a samurai sword. If you don't know what you're doing, you can cut off your arm. And I always laugh every time I say that because it's, it's really true. A lot of people will just think of freemium as this really powerful customer acquisition model for their business, which it is. It is for SaaS companies, the most powerful customer acquisition model out there. But it's really dangerous in the sense that if you don't know what you're doing and let's say you give away a really big part of your product that is, let's say, your, your value metric or something that you just can't get back. Once you give something away for free, it's really hard to get people to pay for it. And so if you don't know how to structure even your pricing page and make sure that you have the right upgrade levers and build in expansion revenue, then you can really shoot yourself in the foot. And so... What I really recommend for a lot of companies, if they are thinking about freemium, is figure out how to use a free trial first. It's a little bit less risk, and you can make sure that you really understand what it takes to help your user become successful in a short period of time. And if you can do that, yeah, you could explore it. But I really caution people, unless you have a very quick time to value. Yeah, and I would say part of it, unpacking some of what you just said about freemium, part of the the issue there is do companies have really good pricing and packaging expertise, right? Because it becomes a pricing and packaging issue. Like what do you include in the freemium package versus the paid package? How well do you think through that? How well do you think through the pricing tiers, right? Those become some of the big challenges in making sure that works. Yeah, and in my book, one of the things I, I try to point out is like your pricing model and your customer acquisition model are kind of like an arranged marriage in a lot of ways. <laughs> if you're a pricing model, let's say you, you give away or let's say you start charging really ridiculous prices, like your customer acquisition model is just going to flounder. But if let's say you give away all your products for free and yeah, your customer acquisition model is going to go crazy, but then you go out of business. And so it's always this balancing act. And you to be a product-led business, you have to get really good at that because often you do have to show your pricing to really reduce that amount of friction for people to really understand if this is a good fit for them or not. 
So now for companies out there, product managers out there that are that want to evangelize the notion of being product-led to their company, you know, what should the product managers be doing? How should they evangelize that notion? I think it really just starts with collaborating with other teams. And for instance, I mentioned at the beginning for the marketing team, they could start looking at, all right, how could we use the product to acquire more customers? And now that doesn't necessarily even need to mean like, all right, we're going to use our main product. This could also be maybe a free tool that people can freely use. And there's a lot of great companies that have done this and built really useful tools. If we even think about Google, like let's think of a UTM builder. For anyone who's out there in the marketing world, you probably know what that is. If you don't, it's basically so you can track what URLs go for, let's say, which campaigns. And so they just give that away freely. And like you can really get a lot of value out of that tool, come to that business's website again and again. And so there's tons of ways you can slice and dice it but using your product as a way to really start that interaction is really, really powerful because that is the ultimate lead magnet. I think people are really just tired nowadays with so much content out there that you really do have to go above and beyond and actually help people with solving their problems in some actual way and not just telling them about it. So we covered a lot about being product-led. If you were to summarize like the top three most important takeaways, what would they be? So I think for product-led growth to be successful for any business, you have to think about everything just from your user's perspective, as generic as that sounds. Everything's cliche when it's like, it's true though. (laughs) And so whenever you think about product-led growth, if I could leave you with one thing, I would just make sure that you really become aggressive when it comes to reducing anything that gets in your user's way that is not going to help them experience meaningful value. And in so many people's onboarding experiences, I just see this again and again. It pains me to just see so many of these unnecessary steps in onboarding where if you got rid of them, you could actually help people more. And so that's what I I would definitely recommend as one of the the biggest takeaways there. So in working with companies, you know, you obviously work with their product organizations a lot. And I'm interested in what you see as trends. I mean, obviously being product-led is a trend, but what's another trend you see in product management? Yeah, I think it definitely goes beyond product management in the sense that marketers are going to start asking product managers, like, what features can we build out to generate more leads? Your sales team is going to start asking product managers, like, okay, what are the people actually doing in the products? Because they want to know, okay, if we know which people have actually experienced the value from the products, they can close more deals. It's a win-win. And for the customer support team, they can start asking product management, all right, like how can we build a better user experience to just reduce the overall number of support tickets? Like treat these tickets as bugs in the system and make sure that we get maniacal about understanding, okay, where are those pain points that we can fix? And so it's really, it's just collaboration at the end of the day and making sure that every team has a hand in the product. So let's talk a little bit about Wes. You know, what's your favorite product? Yeah, one of my favorite products since I love learning is Audible. I think they've done a really good job just, well, it is definitely, they're taking a product-led approach to it as well with the free credits. That's not why I really signed up. I I just love the product itself. It's easy to use. You can listen to everything fast. (laughs) And no, that's probably my favorite one. Awesome. So one final question for you today. What are three words to describe yourself? I think the first one probably be 
challenger. I think I, I love anything challenging. <laughs> Jumping out of planes is fun. The next one is probably energy. And I use energy as just the lens through which I build my life and business around. And then the last one is just tall. <laughs> I think that one's pretty self-explanatory if you have seen me. <laughs> Seven one, right? Six five. Pretty up there, man. <laughs> <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. Well, thank you, Wes. This was great. I, I appreciate your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me, Eric. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.